Let me point out, and I want to make this particularly clear. She made her first attempt at Coca Bun. Coca I can't say it. Thank you. She went to the beach. It's the Clear as Mud podcast, where we look at the funny and not so funny sides of bad communication. Join us as we ask why is it so hard to get your message across? Take it away, Lawrence and Ray. Welcome to episode 15 of the Clear as Mud podcast. Hello, Ray. How are you going? Yeah, good. How about yourself? Good, 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 good. I'm just um, getting adjusted to, uh, to a new country here. But you know, do you know something? Have you heard of this thing called the Streisand effect? You know, as in Barbara Streisand, the actress and singer? Yes, yes, I think I have heard about it. T- tell me a bit more. Yeah, well, I've not heard about it until uh, recently. Now, it simply means suing somebody, but then achieving the opposite desired result. Now, the reason this um, was named uh, after Barbara Streisand is because in 2003, uh, a photographer, his name is uh, Kenneth Elderman. Now, he, he took some area photographs uh, of the California you know, uh, coastline and to show the erosion of the coastline. So this is part of the, 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 the project the government is working on. Now, he took something like you know, 12,000 photographs now, but in one of the photographs, and you can faintly see Barbara Streisand's house, hmm. you know, uh, on the photograph. Now, of course, you know, you know, she wasn't happy, and so she sued, right, uh, for invasion of privacy, you know, to a tune of ten million dollars, and she wants, you know, the photograph to be removed, you know, <laughs> yeah, from the record and from the website and so forth. Now, here's the thing, though. Not only did she not win the case, so she didn't, she lost, right? But it attracted so much publicity that 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 the picture was downloaded, you know, half a million times. So before this, nobody knew, you know, where Barbara Streisand lives or where his her house, you know, was and so forth. And now a lot of people do. So it attracted so much, uh, you know, media attention, and it, it sort of achieved, you know, the mm. opposite effect. So this is this is well known in in defamation law, where sometimes plaintiffs might sue to vindicate their reputation. Uh, but in the process, what happens is that their own image, you know, gets tarnished, even if they win, yeah. right? So this is, this is and so they name this thing called the, the Streisand, you know, effect, right? So it sort of brings me, you know, to the latest uh, in this case, uh, which is about Lachlan Murdoch of the News Corp Empire. Now, he is suing Crikey, and there's a small online uh, news website mm-hmm. in Australia. Now, it's over an article, you know, published on January the 29th, where the writer, you know, Bernard Keane said, Trump uh, is an unhinged traitor and Murdoch is his unindicted co-conspirator. So they're referring to the, you know, ca- yeah, the Capitol Hill storming of uh, Trump supporters and so forth. So implying that, you know, Murdoch and News Corp, you know, help incite uh, the right and so forth. Sorry. Now, prior to this lawsuit, you know, nobody heard of this article, okay, or they know or, or know anything about Crikey, but now everybody knows about it, you know, just like, um, you know, what we see in the case of, you know, Barbara Streisand. Chances are, you know, Murdoch uh, may not win the case because, you know, the defamation, you know, it's quite a 
high bar to overcome in any defamation case. So yeah, so so what do you think of this, uh, Ray? Uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting one because I mean, even if they don't win the case, it, you know, like I, I guess I'm thinking, did I've read a little bit about this, and it sounds like Crikey has kind of been poking the bear. I think they actually took out an ad in the New York Times or something like that, saying we kind of we dare you to sue us. And yeah. so guess what? He's suing them. But even if Murdoch doesn't yeah. win, I would think that the costs of the lawsuit could send Crikey into bankrupt. So you kind of wonder, yeah. I don't know, is it like even if they win the case, is this going to work for them or is it actually going to drive them out of business? But but there's but there's no way that I agree with you that there's no way that Murdoch is going to come out of this looking good whether they win the case or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, it's kind of funny because when uh, when Murdoch actually sent Crikey a warning letter, you know, tell them to take it down. So they actually took it down, the website, the article. And then apparently they continued to pursue uh, Crikey as well, even after they took it down. So I think Crikey got fed up and said, okay, since you continue to pursue us, then, you know, we're going to put it up you know, and, and then you can sue us if you want. Or something mm. like that, you know. So, anyway, what what's interesting in in this particular case is that uh, it, it sort of reminds me of you know this idea of competitive advertising. Now, in competitive advertising, you can uh, explicitly explicitly name your competitor, right? So, for example, if you're Subway, for example, and and you can say that your sandwich is healthier in and yet delicious, and you can say you know, compared that to, say, McDonald's, for example, and you explicitly name McDonald's, right? So this, so the small guy, Subway, names a bigger guy, McDonald's, right? But you will never see the reverse. You never see a big guy, you know, like IBM or Coca-Cola or, 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 or McDonald's naming a smaller competitor because you give publicity to your smaller mm. competitor, right? So, and, and in fact, you lend credence you know, to your competitor by, by just doing that, right? So a small player can do that, but a big player probably would not do that. So it sort of reminds me of this, um, what News Corp is doing. So News Corp, by suing Crikey, is in fact giving credence, you know, um, and this publicity to Crikey because everybody now is now going to look at Crikey and say, oh, wow, they, they got the guts to, you know, to take on uh, News Corp. Now, whether that will eventually send them bankrupt or not, that's, you know, that's, I guess, another issue. But it, from a marketing perspective, I think, you know, it's, it's a mistake that, you know, New, News Corp has, uh, has made. Mm, mm. Yeah, the whole thing is a really uh, fascinating phenomenon. I mean, I can see it play in many areas, such as the fact that Donald Trump, you know, is becoming less talked about over the past few months until the FBI decided to take back all those classified documents and and you would have thought that being raided by the FBI would result in opinion about you going down, but the opposite's happened. And now, yeah. you know, he's, his popularity seems to be going up. I mean, Trump breaks all kinds of laws of communication all the time. But, it's you know, it's similar in some ways in that, you know, the government's kind of having a go at him. And it looks like, from a publicity view, that's kind of backfiring. Now, you know, if they end up throwing him in jail, that's another story. But we will see what happens. But it's interesting what you said about um, McDonald's. And, 
and I agree with you that I suppose the market leader does not tend to mention their competitors because of exactly this sort of Streisand effect. But, you know, you talked about Subway and I can think of plenty of examples where their competitors like Burger King and Wendy's in the U.S. often call out Maccas in their social media and even their advertising. I don't know if you remembered, I don't know, not too many years ago that uh, Burger King revealed at one point that there was actually a Big Mac sitting behind the Whopper that they had in a whole series of ads. You know, like they would show, here was this ad we made. Oh, look, you know, we moved the Whopper and, oh, there's a Big Mac sitting behind it. And the whole point was that the Whopper is so much bigger that we even had a Big Mac in our ad and you couldn't see it, you know. Um, so... <laughs> In that regard, I think the Streisand effect can kind of work both ways. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, clearly, um, you know, Burger King has, you know, has a great superiority, I guess, in terms of their and product. Um, and if you have, have a, you know, clear superiority, then go for it, you know. They've certainly got superiority in terms of their sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the good, the bad. And the hilarious. Hey, Ray, I've got a good one this week. Now, have you heard of this news channel on YouTube, right? We're not talking about broadcast. It's called Channel 5, which has been gaining some attention. So it was started by this young man. His name is Andrew Callahan, and he has something like two million subscribers, you know, already. Now, some of the episodes he he has he shown, you know, has you know two point four million, two point eight million, and so forth, right? So it's it's quite you know quite impressive actually. Now, yeah. what yeah, what's interesting with this channel is that is that it's not your typical news channel, you know, where you have an anchor man, the anchor man comes on screen, you know, and, and, and talks to you and so forth. It's none of that. It's more like a interview format. In other words, he, he goes on the streets, he shoves the microphone, you know, up uh, uh, up the nose of somebody, you know, and, and asks the person a bunch of, you know, a questions, usually open-ended, you know. And something like a the Vox Pox, you know, Vox Pop sort of idea. But what's interesting, he goes to all these unusual places, unusual events, like a car rally or a a conference about aliens or anti vaccine sort of rally in Hollywood, that sort of thing, right? Or he might even visit, you know, dangerous areas, you know, uh, in town and interview the squatters there um, and, oh. and, and so forth. Yeah. And then what he does, he edits it in a, in a kind of funny way, in a way that's funny, but also, you know, informative as well, you know. So the recent one, he actually went to Ukraine as well and interviewed the mayor and the refugees in, uh, in, in Lviv and also in Poland as well. Um, so it's heartbreaking to actually hear, you know, what the refugees actually say. So it's it's not through the lens of a broadcaster, but actually you hear it from, you know, the person's mouth, right? So that episode garnered something like, you know, 2.8 million views, you know, on YouTube. And there's another one where during the uh, George Floyd uh, riots in Minneapolis, so he actually... Uh, interviewing all these writers um, amidst, you know, while they are looting, you know, 
the shopping center. There were fires everywhere. <laughs> so he shoved his mic, you know, up to this guy and say, you know, what's going on here? You know, and then the guy would go, blah, 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 and so forth, right? So it's kind of, you know, hilarious, right? So what's interesting with this, you know, way of broadcasting news is that it's it's like a, a ground up, right? You, he takes you mm-hmm. to the scene. You know, it is as if you're watching, you know, the whole thing unfold in front of you. And he does it by asking open-ended questions, you know, what's on your mind, you know, what's happening and so forth. So it takes you, it takes the viewer into the scene, you know, with them. And and I don't know, I think this this might be a new trend, Ray. What do you think? Do you think this is a new trend of um, of reporting news? Yeah, it's funny that you call this a new trend. Um, and, and I love this, by the way. I agree with you. I think this is a good development. But it takes me back to the early days of the internet when everybody saw an opportunity for, you know, a whole host of diverse opinions being able to express to be expressed, you know, the whole global community thing where, you know, anyone can be a publisher and all that sort of stuff. It was, you know, the good old days before big tech rolled in and turned yes, the internet yes. into a huge bland advertising machine. But while I applaud the idea, I, you know, the cynic in me thinks this will never become a big thing, although I really hope that it will. But if it is gonna work got an idea why don't we start a new show on youtube you know we could do it in all that spare time that we have um <laughs> when we're not working on the podcast <laughs> yes you know you shove the mic up somebody's uh, uh, nose and say what about you know what do you think of this kebab or what yeah. do you think of this <laughs> all right i've got a bad example for this week and my example is, was prompted by an article that I came across recently that reveals the clear-as-mud nature of a book that helped change history. Now, the book Go Ask Alice, which was promoted as a real diary on its cover when it was first published in 1971, it was sold as a true story of a young girl who became involved with drugs which destroyed her life. You know, and the title of the book, Go Ask Alice, was based on a song by the Jefferson Airplane, uh, which was about getting high, actually. This book became a long-standing bestseller. It was made into a popular movie and all that sort of thing. came out at the time of America's war on drugs back in the 70s. And it was a cautionary tale of how easy it was to start walking and then hurtling down the wrong path, ending up in drug-induced hell, rape rehab, and finally suicide. You know, spoiler alert. You get to the end of the book and says, you know, no more entries in the diary because she died two weeks later or something. For decades, this book has been used by legislators and parents as a cautionary tale of what can happen to even the most innocent of children. But, of course, like so many things, it turns out this so-called real diary was, in fact, made up. It was written by a Mormon housewife with links to the then U.S. President Richard Nixon. And she was somebody who wanted a career as an author, and she saw an opportunity to capitalize on the zeitgeist of the day with young people raging against the system, parents worried about the potential consequences. 
Now, when the book was published, the author was listed as anonymous. And as I say, it was promoted as a real life diary. But a new book that's uh, just come out has been written by somebody who's uncovered the real author of Go Ask Alice as a woman named Beatrice Sparks, who was 50 years old when she wrote this so-called diary of a 15-year-old drug user. (laughs) Now, Lawrence, I remember when this movie came out and my and my friends, parents, they all pointed to it and they said, see, kids, this is what happens if you try drugs. You know, and it's a true story. It's a true story. And you multiply that by several million parents across the country or around the world, and you can get an idea of how this story was used to fight against the tide of disaffected youth back at that time. Hmm. Now, this, of course, has echoes of the Janet Cook saga, you know, an award-winning story about a drug-addicted youth that was made up from a passage of stories. You know, that's, that was the story that we discussed with author Mike Sager during the first season of Clear as Mud. Now, this Go Ask Alice was published 10 years before the Janet Cook saga. So I suppose it's possible that Janet was even inspired by this book. Who knows? I guess my point here is that if people knew that the story was fiction and not a real-life diary at the time that it was published its impact would not have been nearly as significant as it turned out to be. A bit like fake news and disinformation today, people love to promote falsities that support their views, and they pass it off you know, as the truth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm interested, what, what do you think, Lawrence? Now, Beatrice Sparks died 10 years ago, but if she was alive today, do you think she should be prosecuted for lying and passing her fictional account off as reality? You know, should there be some sort of legislation to prevent these sorts of things happening? Or is it even possible to prevent this? Yeah, I don't think it's possible to prevent this because, you know, you know, how how are we going to... Well, I suppose you can verify that, I guess, you know, eventually, you know, you got to show proof that, you know, this is not, you know, a fiction, right? And it's a real diary, so to speak. But my question is, did did it actually have a positive impact on society, though, even though it turned out to be a lie in the end, you know, could we not justify by saying that the book actually prevent X number of American youths, you know, from committing suicide or something like that? Yeah, I guess how you define positive or balancing out the positive against the fact that it was, the, the, it, I don't know, it just it just gets me that they would lie about, you know, lie about something, even if it's in theory, for the right reasons, I just have a problem that yeah. you know with this whole thing of passing on. But I think you have pointed out a really relevant ethical dilemma, and it's something that you know parents have all the time with their kids. Do you tell a bit of a lie in order to get your child to do something that you know is good for them? Yeah, what's also interesting in this case is that she is. A Christian, a Mormon, right? It's supposed to be, you know, very, you know, clean. I guess you know to be, to follow, you know, the Bible, God's words, and so forth. And yet, you know, she, you know, can do things like that. So that's the other bit that sort of throws something in my mind as well. Yeah, I, you know, I think you don't have to go far to find examples of 
people who claim to be Christian that don't necessarily behave in a Christian way. And that's, yeah, that's probably the subject of a whole nother thing. But I think that's a very valid point to make. But I don't know, you know, if they're trying to make something, you know, yeah, just say that has a net positive effect, is it okay to lie? Hmm, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe we need to uh, find somebody to interview about that in the future too. All right. So I came up with a hilarious example for this week as well, and we'll uh, finish off with that. Now, apparently someone has developed a viral LinkedIn post generator so in which you sort of plug in a couple of your ideas and this generator turns it into a cringeworthy post on our favorite chess being social media platform. This fellow Tom Orbach, who is, surprise, surprise, a marketing manager and a behavioral economist, he's developed an artificial intelligence bot and he fed it a hundred thousand LinkedIn posts to teach it to spit out humble brags about nearly anything you can come up with. Hmm. Now, we'll include a link to uh, it in the show notes, or if you can't wait, check it out at viralpostgenerator.com. Now, I tried it out, and I got it to write a story about creating a podcast episode. <laughs> I'll uh, send that uh, show that put that in the show notes so you can see. But I have to say that the post reminds me a lot of the self-congratulatory garbage that we see every day on LinkedIn. Mm. Although it is also a bit self-aware and tongue-in-cheek, which I sort of like. Like the final line, for example, of my post, and it says in parentheses, I do still have the need to let all of you losers know that I'm still amazing and I'm still better, just in a different way. <laughs> now, Lawrence... Do you think this is going to become a popular way to create terrible LinkedIn posts? Or do people already have enough BS to keep doing this by themselves? Yeah, I think it's already happening, Ray. I mean, when, when LinkedIn first started, it's meant to be a platform for business people to connect with each other, where they then show their qualifications, you know. And that, that was what it was meant to be. But then it turned out to be a place where you start bragging about you know, your achievements, you know, professionally, you know. I've got the latest article published in Journal X and, oh, listen to my interview with so-and-so and so forth, right? So it has, it has turned to be a marketplace of, you know, braggers. So, yeah, so I think in all things social, you know, it has been, you know, distorted. So, yeah, so I think there's already, you know, rubbish out there anyway. You know, you don't, you don't need a... A, a generator to help you. But but it's interesting. It's a tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, play on it, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we'll have to see yeah, how much further uh, LinkedIn devolves over time. Hmm. As always, please send through your own suggestions to the good, the bad, and the hilarious at clear-as-mud.org. We encourage you to subscribe to Clear as Mud on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review, as well as asking you to check out the show notes for this episode at clear-as-mud.org, where you'll find other examples of communication that is clear as mud. See you next time. Mm.
This podcast is owned and created by Clear as Mud Production. Continued listening to this podcast may result in uncontrollable laughter, eye rolling, and expanded consciousness. Please see your doctor if pain persists.